0: Finishing our series that, uh, this morning that we've been doing for the month of January. And the series has simply just been called Unhindered. And so, kids in the room, especially, let me get you caught up. This is just a subtle way of me reminding the adults what we've been talking about because they get a little tired of listening to me every single week, right? Uh, but we've been looking at this passage in the book of Hebrews. Uh, where it just says that we we want to, as a body, we want to be unhindered, meaning we don't want there to be obstacles or things that are in our way that are slowing us down. And we want to lay aside, is the author's usage in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We said, lay aside everything that entangles us. We want to lay aside every sin, which is clinging so closely. And we want to set our mind, set our attention on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, Jesus had this unrelenting view of the mission, that he wasn't going to get caught up in this or that, but he was going to stay laser-like focused on the mission that was before him, the joy set before him in the cross, that his mission was to reconcile every person who would come in faith to himself. And and what we talked about the first week was, man, I, I want us to be a people who lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. We all have different things in our life that we do wrong. We all have mistakes that we make and we need to take that sin and we need to ask by the power of the Holy Spirit, would he help us put it to death? Because all of those things end up being a distraction and a hindrance for our walk with God. It's not that God is far away in removing himself from us. It's that when we sin, we remove ourselves from him. And so our aim is to come back to him, rush back to him saying this, I'm not going to choose this over you. We want to do that with sin, but we also want to do that with distractions. Like I just, I have found over these last 21 days that I just, I love that I'm not so distracted by my screen right now. And I don't know what you guys chose to do for this 21 days of fasting and prayer. How many of y'all are just happy today to eat something delicious tonight? (laughs) Amen. Uh, My my small group's getting together. We're going to get together, and we do this horrible thing every year. This is a terrible idea. Everyone just brings random food. No one coordinates really anything. And we bring all sorts of different food, and we eat from all different corners of the globe, and we feel terrible on Monday, you know? But it's this coming together and feasting and celebrating everything that God's done during this time of fasting. I want to read for you just a couple stories. that came in about the fast. And if you have something that God's done over the fast, I would just want to encourage you, um, would you, would you share that story with us? We love hearing what God is up to. We love hearing what he's stirring up in you and what, what kind of victory is happening in your life. And so I, uh, I talked to the woman this week who was uh, in one of our prayer times, and she just said, man, I, I felt such freedom after last week's message. And I was like, well, what, what is it? What's going on? And, and she said, I I've, I love my husband. I love him deeply. And sometimes he just annoys me. Any women in the room just want to give a little amen real quick? Not you, babe, please. Thank you. No, she just said, I, I realized in that message last week where we started to talk about taking captive the thoughts that are going through our mind and realizing, man, well, I got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. She realized in that process that she'd been holding on to some words spoken over here, her years before, years and years ago. And she said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to take those thoughts and to finally release them. And I've been delighting in and enjoying in my marriage uh, in in such a sweet way this last week. Isn't that amazing? I've talked to so many friends. I feel like I've had so many friends this year, which is a cool thing, that don't struggle with alcohol. They don't struggle with drinking at all, but they're choosing to go dry for the month of January. They're, they're, again, choosing to set something aside so that they wouldn't be distracted, wouldn't be hindered. And so many of my friends that I'm talking to, uh, man, they're just like, I feel healthier than ever. My mind feels clearer than ever. My spiritual disciplines are are as sharp as they've ever been. And I'm just so encouraged that we would take some of those steps to lay aside okay things that God has even given us as a gift and we can set them aside and we go, no, Jesus, you're the only one that matters, right? And this last one, I want to read it. There's a text I got. It's from a friend here sitting in the church. going to be sitting in here sometime today. He said, The fast is already yielding fruit. I started last Sunday morning. This is from the very first week. And I wasn't yet hungry Monday morning, but I woke up more angry than I have been in years. I had no idea why I was angry. I just was. I was home alone that day, working from home, and little things that went wrong were setting me off. And my response was to verbally express my frustration out loud. And I was saying bad words. Kids in the room. I mean, we all... No, the bad words are not good, right? He founds himself saying bad words. He says, the more that I said them, the angrier I felt. I was spiraling in a deep tunnel of anger. And I soon realized that the enemy, Satan, was using something to trigger me. And I now know why. The fast was going to yield some amazing fruit and he wants to stop it. Have you all just accepted that is true for your life as well? Like there's something that you are on the cusp of, something that you are trying to press into with Jesus, and the enemy would love to destroy that plan in your life. The fast is going to yield some amazing fruit, and the enemy wants to stop it. He does not like what we're doing during these 21 days, but he has shown his hand, and his cards are pathetic. I love that tone. The fast is already yielding fruit. When my wife got home from work that day, I told her about my day, and she was taken aback at first because that's not who I usually am. For the rest of the week, she has responded with tenderness and boldness in a way that's helped me process what's going on inside of me. My Heavenly Father has also shown me in a mighty way, He's drawn me closer to Him this week, particularly as hunger is starting to settle in, and He's shown me a Bible verse that I'm committing to memory that will help me toward achieving one of my goals this year. The spiritual battle is real, and fasting is a great tool for calling on the Lord and drawing closer to Him. The next two weeks are going to be glorious. not awesome? And awesome. I, I hope that this 21 days for you, and, and maybe you missed the first couple weeks. Maybe you missed all, it all together. You missed the 21 days. I just want to remind you, as we draw near, God promises to. As we press in, as we as we vow to kind of come close to Jesus, His promise is to meet us in that space. And so, whatever it is that happened in your heart or in your soul during this last 21 days, I want to encourage you. It's God's not done. It's not completed. It's not finished. You might eat something, you might go back to your screen, you might go back to doing some other routine, but, but don't lose track of the momentum and the faith building and the stretching that God was doing in this time. Let's let it set the tone then for us for the rest of the year. Amen? As we've been going through this unhindered series, I want to land the plane today uh, with the thought that we, we need to fight for simplicity in our faith. I, I told you guys a couple weeks ago, I'm, I'm Doing a new endeavor, I'm coaching a middle school girls basketball team, which is awesome and hilarious, and probably one of the funnest things I've done in a while, honestly. And uh, one of the most funny things to me about students at this age learning to play basketball, we're now at the age where we're starting to learn plays, right? Right. We're starting to actually learn an offense. We're starting to try to run and try to do different things and move about the court strategically, actually. How many of you guys, you're, you're in that stage, like you're at Bill Reed Chilson Center yesterday morning because you're doing kids city basketball right now. I see some of you there. I see some of you over there. And, and man, I, I love it, but it's just kind of like a blob or like the soccer version is just like the amoeba moving around the field at one time, right? And it's just this cluster going around. Well, now we're at the spot where we're like, hey, let's, let's actually move strategically so we can get people open. And the funniest thing that I take for granted having played basketball for so long is I have to remind these girls consistently that we don't just run an offense to, to run an offense. Like we, we run an offense to get open baskets. And so literally we'll, we'll run a play and these girls will set screens and we run a motion offense. And so everything's always kind of moving and you'll get these girls that catch the ball and then they're looking, there is nothing between them and the hoop like it worked. We got them open. Praise God. And I'm like, you have six feet to move forward and you are right underneath the basket, right where we want to be. And there's no defender in sight. And I have to remind them, the offense exists for that moment right there, but they get the ball and they're just going, okay, wait, what's the next play? What's the next screen? Who am I passing it to? And I'm like, no, score. It's right there. And the amount of times that we've had to huddle up halftime, timeout. And I'm like, girls, if you're wide open, shoot the rock, baby. Come on, let's get some points on the board, you know? And I think we as Christians, here, here it is, here it is. I think we as Christians, sometimes we can do the same kind of thing where it's like, we're running this play. We're doing this. We're going to church every single week. We're in our Bible every single week. We're, we're, we're in prayer. And then it's like the, these moments come, these opportunities present themselves. And it's like, are you playing the game? Are you playing to score? Are, are we playing to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done? Like hopefully your spiritual rhythms and the practices that you have in your life, hopefully the last 21 days didn't just fill you up. Like God didn't just fill you up so he could make you feel full of God. He's filling you up so that you might overflow into somebody else's life. He's, he's pouring into you so that his power, once it gets in you, might come out of you. The way that Pastor Kent, our pastor for, for 35 years, would always say it, and it's the perfect analogy, is we as Christians were made to be a pipe not a pot. We're a conduit for God's work. We're not just meant to be these big fat receptacles of God's blessing. Man, how many, how many, how many times do you just find yourself in a rhythm, in a routine? Like I, I, I have felt after this fast, unlike the past ones that we've done, I feel so dialed in with Jesus right now. It feels really, really awesome. Like I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying. And I'm doing it every single day. And I have this just like intensity and this consistency that just is firing up my soul. And if I'm not careful, My fear is that I would make that the ends, the end and not the means. I would make that the goal rather than the goal being spreading the mission, advancing the kingdom of God, telling other people about what I found in Jesus. And I think James writes this in a great way for us to remember today as we kind of put a stamp on this series. And so if you have your Bible, open on up to the book of James. We're gonna look in chapter one, James chapter one. If you're trying to find it in your Bible, you open up, get to your New Testament. You'll probably find Hebrews. Just keep going. You're really close when you get to Hebrews. Just like one more page over. So James 1, we're going to start in verse 19. Starting in verse 19. James says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen to me. If you get nothing else from my sermon today, write that verse down. It'll change your life. If you're like always the first person talking in a conversation, just write this verse down. And just remember, I want to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So note here at first, what's able to save your souls is not something that you're doing. It's the implanted word of God that changes your heart. Here's the two verses I want to hone in on, okay? Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is, what's that word? Worthless. Worthless. I said this last week in second service, but y'all missed it in first service. I've been reading a lot of Proverbs recently uh, because I heard a pastor say a proverb a day keeps the stupid away. And so I'm just, I'm just like, I just, I need less stupid in my life, you know? So I'm going to read a proverb every day. Amen. Praise God. I'm with you. There's so much to be said in the Proverbs about bridling your tongue, about watching what you speak, because what James indicates for us is that what comes out of your mouth is not just something that's happening here, it's something that's going on in your heart. And so if you have these things consistently coming out of your mouth, you don't just need to evaluate your speech, you don't just maybe need your mouth washed out with soap, although maybe some of you need a little soap in your mouth if you're talking not the right way to your mom and dad, but what we actually need is we need something to change in our hearts that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James, who is growing up in the same house with Jesus, by the way, that would be a difficult spot. Siblings in the room, huh? How many of you guys got like a little brother, a little sister, and you're like, man, how annoying would it be if your brother was Jesus? He did everything perfect all the time. Never made any mistakes. You're getting in trouble. You're getting these consequences. You're getting things taken away, but not Jesus. <laughs> Does that all perfectly. James grows up in the house of Jesus and is more in love and captivated with his work than maybe, than maybe many other people that we would read about. James is so focused. His, his tone in his letter, it's kind of harsh. It's sort of hard to read at times. He's saying, if, if you can't bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless and it says religion that is religion that is pure and undefiled if we can just put that verse up on the screen 26 and 27 religion that is pure and undefiled okay so let's let's look at just a couple terms here that word religion don't think of religious like as in an institution or a place that you go to that word religion what it means in the original language is it's a belief structure you have internally that manifests in a behavior externally So a religion is something that you think is true, an operating system that you have chosen to believe in or to adopt, and the way that you think, the way that you believe, just like we talked about last week, is now producing out of you a behavior that other people can see. And so he says, religion or a way of thinking that's pure. Golly, don't we just want our religion, our faith, our belief, don't we want it to be pure? I want it to be right. I want it to be focused in the right direction and undefiled It's not stained or tainted in any kind of way. It's clean. That's the kind of religion we're after, isn't it? I want a belief structure that that is pure and undefiled. He says it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Visiting orphans and widows. You don't have to read much of scripture to get the gist that God cares deeply about widows and orphans. Really, if you were to assess these two words a little more deeply, what you would find is that what what James is saying here is that you would care for the vulnerable amongst you. You would actually provide a level of care for people who have no ability to return the favor back to you in any sort of way. Don't Don't we live in a kind of world where it's like scratch my back and I'll scratch yours? Like we take care of people who are gonna take care of us. We do favors and we help people who are ultimately then gonna help us. This is all of like networking and business. And I'm not saying it's bad. If you're a business owner, you probably should network with other business owners. But isn't that at the, at the end of itself? It's just a means of saying like, hey, I want to find a way that my goods and service can help your goods and ser- your business and your business can help me at the end of the day. We're so wired in a kind of way in our culture, consumeristically, where we're trying so hard to help other people in a way that we're ultimately expecting some sort of favor back. But James is saying pure and undefiled religion is this that at some point you would move yourself towards those who are vulnerable and have no means to help you in return. That you'd care for the people who have, who have lost the ability to help care for themselves, who are unprotected, who are, who are at risk. So, I mean, there's so many different people we could put in this category today. It should, it should extend our lens beyond just widows and orphans, but certainly should encompass widows and orphans. That's why, that's why we like we, we, we want to be a people who take care of the widows of this body, take care of the widows. We partner with ministries who take care of the single parents, the single people in our area. We want to partner with, we want to, we want to encourage people who are doing foster care. We have no formal ministry for it yet, but it's like, man, kids who are caught in foster care, have, they may have parents somewhere, but functionally they're orphans in the world we're living in. And, and, and what James is saying is that genuine, pure, authentic faith engages these people doesn't just remain disengaged or distant, but we get involved. We, we visit them in their affliction. That word visit. Kids, how many times have you just rolled your eyes or cried a little or just gotten so bored the moments your parents are like, hey, we're just going to visit with these people for just a little bit. I imagine my kids every Sunday morning, they kind of feel this way, you know? Like, hey, dad just needs to visit with this person for a little bit. Oh, visit. Okay, great. I mean, you're going to talk for a half an hour about boring stuff. We're not even going to play. That's not what this word visit means. The the word visit is this engagement. I'm going to go meet them in their affliction. I'm going to go see what's broken. I'm going to go see what's wrong. And I'm going to come support them in any way that I can. So genuine faith engages with the vulnerable. Genuine faith engages with the vulnerable. As we go on and we read about this, I want to I really just click on these kind of two ideas because here's what's important for you to know. God's, God's heart has always been for the widow, the orphan, the vulnerable amongst us. He says it out of Jesus' own words in Matthew. Jesus is saying, look, if uh, there's going to be a day where I return and I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats and the people who I'm going to say, I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, enter into the kingdom that I've been preparing for you. It's for for the righteous who, who when I was hungry, they fed me. And when I was naked, they clothed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And he looks at them and he says, you did that for me. Come on in, enter into the joy of your master. And their response, the righteous's response, they say to him in in verse 37 of chapter 25, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them. Listen to this. Truly, I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So when we are engaging with the vulnerable, when we are seeing somebody who's hungry and meeting them with a meal, when we're seeing somebody who's thirsty and we're giving them a cup of water, when we're seeing people who are in need and don't have the clothing for the winter months and we're giving them what they need, what Jesus is saying is, as you do it for the least of these, my brothers, you're actually doing it for me. You're serving Jesus himself when you serve his people because he loves every single one of the people who are vulnerable and in need. So pure and undefiled religion is this, that we would meet Jesus, meet the people in their needs. And God's heart has always been this way. This isn't a New Testament idea. God doesn't somehow change all of a sudden when Jesus comes on the scene. So if we look back at Leviticus, Oh That's right. We're going to Leviticus this morning, baby. When we look at Leviticus, what, we see the heart of God revealed in the way he gives his law to his people. And he says, when you, when, you reap, when you reap the harvest of your land, so when it's time for harvest and it's time to go out there and take all the crops out of the field, when you do that, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. As in, take the tractor. You know, they didn't have tractors, but you know, somehow, sometimes when you go past like a cornfield at the end of the summer and you're like, why did they leave like eight corn stalks there just in a row? Well, I just missed them, right? And, and, and God, when he's giving his law to Israel says, don't take your harvest up to the edge of the field. Leave some of it, leave some of it there. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So stuff falls to the ground, there's waste that comes and, and you could gather that up for more profit. You could gather that up for more security. He says, don't pick it up. You shall not strip your vineyards bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of the vineyard. You shall leave them for who? For the poor and for the sojourner, for the person who's wandering and doesn't have a home. Leave it for them. Do you see how it's always been God's heart to care for the vulnerable, for the vulnerable, for the poor amongst us, to take care of people? If we go back to that verse, there's two pieces that I want us to see. That we visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. And we can see clearly that that is is God's heart through and through. But we also want to keep oneself unstained from the world. we want to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Any of you got just something at home that's like, uh, you're a mom and you're just like, no matter what I do, I just can't get that stain out of my kids' clothes. I don't know what it is. You know, that garment that you have somewhere and you're like, I'd love to wear that shirt again someday. I'd love to wear those pants. But that stain is never coming out ever, apparently. Like, I want to have a faith that is unstained, that is blemish free. Now, here's the beauty. Jesus offers us his righteousness when we come to saving faith in him. When when you put your trust in Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, you receive his righteousness. But what this verse shows is that we need to have a pursuit then of that righteousness. We need to try to live into that call that Jesus has said, I've washed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And we want to keep ourselves unstained from the world. That sin, those behaviors, those thought patterns that we get ourselves caught up in, it's like these stains on our garments. The good news is Jesus is running like OxyBoost 10 billion on our clothes. And so every time we mess up, he sprays it, he lets it sit for 10 minutes, and then he washes us right up again. Amen? But man, I want to be a people who try vigilantly to protect our life, to guard ourselves in a way where we're remaining unstained from the world. Uh, The Apostle John writes it like this in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in this world. Next week, we're going to start a series on money. The Bible is really clear that when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff, you cannot serve two masters for you'll love one and reject the other. You cannot love both God and money. Only one gets to rule on the throne of your heart. So John says, don't love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but it is from the world. And look what he says. And the world, as we know it, it's passing away. The world as we know it is passing away. The things that we could give our love to, give our affection to here on earth, it is passing away. We should be choosing to put our hope and our trust and our love into eternal things along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hey, if you're, if you're getting baptized today, now'd be a great time for you to hop on up and go and get changed. You can meet Taylor out by the bathrooms real quick. I wanted, I wanted to end this message fighting for simplicity. And kids, this is why I, I genuinely, it's not just something we say at the beginning of Celebration Sunday. I genuinely think that we need to see your faith in the room on Sunday mornings. Because here's, here's just what I know to be true is that as we come to church every single week and year after year, I said this to the serve team as we were circling up and praying before service. Like some of y'all, you measure how long you've been a Christian in decades, not in years. I've been following Jesus for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years the danger in that, the hindrance that can lie in that. And that's beautiful. We should keep pressing in. We should keep running after all that Jesus has. We should keep gathering and meeting. But the danger is that you would make Christianity a routine thing that you do, or it'd be a list of routine things that you do, rather than seeing it as every single week that I come into this place is a distinct opportunity for me to encounter the presence of God in a fresh way. Every single time I come in here, it's a chance for me to get stirred and equipped in a certain way so that I might go make an impact in the person's life that I have found myself next to at work or found myself next to at school. You were blessed. You were given this blessing by God, not just to hold it all for yourself, but to go out then and bless others. You want to know what our faith boils down to? It's really simple, everybody. Loving God and loving people. It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind is your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's the Great Commission. As you love your neighbor, we're going to go out and we're going to make disciples of every nation. Sometimes I think one of the biggest hindrances to Christianity is that we fight so hard to do all the routines, to learn the offense, to learn the plays, to learn all the things that we ought to be doing. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing those things, but if we let them slip into just mere routine and we miss the mission of God that's in front of us, like this is a, This is a dark, hurting world that we find ourselves living in, isn't it? There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of vulnerable people out there every single day. And if we're just so busy living in our Christian bubble, and we forget to look up and see the rest of the world and how they're hurting, then I'm afraid that we'll miss the simplicity of our faith. That we are to love God so that we can turn around. As we've been reconciled to him, as we've encountered him, now we can go out and we can love other people. James kind Of, like, has this whole chapter then after what we just read about kind of teasing out what is faith, what is works, how do, these, how do these two work together. And if you read it, you're kind of confused because you're thinking to yourself, Man, does he kind of disagree with Paul? Paul says, I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by faith alone. And James is like, Listen to me, if you, if you say to me, Show me your faith, I'll show you my works. If you say, like, the, it is going to produce something in you, faith without works is dead, is what James says. And he, he summarizes it all in verse 18 by saying, someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works, but show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Here's what James is saying. You cannot put together some sort of list and check off a bunch of these boxes and make yourself clean enough to get into God's presence. You have to fundamentally start with this heart that just goes, God, I'm desperate for you and I have sinned and I have fallen short. But genuine faith, that moment of coming to Him, the way that you're going to need to measure if that faith can actually save you is by asking the very real question is that faith producing something in me? Because genuine faith has works, genuine faith yields a harvest, genuine faith moves towards those who are vulnerable. Genuine faith produces joy in your heart. Now, listen to me. I'm not here to say that it's all gonna happen at once. It's most certainly will not. And it takes time and you have to keep fighting. That's why so much of what James is saying is keep persevering in this. But we keep coming back to this simple message. Listen to me, I've taught you nothing new today. Nothing new. You know this all to be true. But maybe just the simple reminder that man, don't overcomplicate what this is. Christianity following after Jesus, it is as simple. Don't be hindered. It's as simple as coming back to your first love, coming back to Jesus, nourishing that relationship. And as you do that, as you keep coming back to him time and time again, it's going to produce this outward evidence of that belief system in your life. And you're going to, and you're going to care for people who are hurting and you're going to serve people that are around you. And you're gonna to long to make an impact in this world because you will long to see other people experience the same reconciliation that you found in Jesus. Katie and I, when we, when we went away back in October, we do this every year um, and we just simply go asking the Lord, God, would you, would you help us lead this church? I don't know what you think it is like being the lead pastor, but it's kind of strange feeling like you have to take this responsibility to chart a direction for the church. And, and when we went away, we, we spent some time praying separately. Katie, Katie came back and she felt like she had that verse from Hebrews. Let us lay aside everything that entangles us and let us focus on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I felt like I came to this verse in James. Pure and undefiled religion is this, that you would care for the widows and for the orphans and that you'd keep yourself unstained from the world. And I looked, I looked at those two verses and I just went, God, you know what I really just long for, for this community? Is that we would chase after you with everything that we are. God, if, if you have something for us, I want all of it. I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna I don't wanna meander my way towards Jesus. I wanna run ferociously after him. I wanna be tired. I want to chase him with everything that I have. I want, to, I want to look at the things that are slowing me down in my life and I want to violently put to death the sin that is in my life. I want to violently remove the distractions that are, that are in my life because I know that Jesus is better. Jesus is more worth it. He's doing something in our midst and if we will focus on him, if we'll chase after him, he'll keep bringing his renewal, his reconciliation into the world that we're living in. And you know how he's going to do it, folks? Through us, through his people through his kids, his beloved sons, his beloved daughters, that's you and me. What a privilege, church, it is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, isn't it? What a privilege. Church, I wanna run after Jesus with you in an unhindered way. You wanna cut me to my core, that's, that's where I'm at. That's who I am deep down. I wanna see you falling after Jesus in an unhindered way. I wanna see you finally put to death that weird sin that you have going on in your life. I want to see you get up off of Netflix, off the couch, up off watching, being distracted by all these little things that are going on in your life. And I want to see you focused. I want to see you channeled in, dialed in, following after Jesus, look, longing to see the mission that he has in, king, in the kingdom of heaven. And you're, you're a vehicle, you're a conduit, you're a pipe, not a pot, of that kingdom coming down into earth as it is in heaven. That's what I long for. As we end today, we're going to end with communion. So hopefully you got communion on your way in toss me one if you didn't get some communion you can just kind of throw your hand up in the air we have some ushers coming down who will give you some I want to give you just a couple minutes to receive communion at your own speed this morning at Good Shepherd we don't require that you're a member of our church for sure to be uh, participating in communion with us we just ask that you know Jesus because this is not just a simple ceremony of eating bread and drinking juice. This is us partaking in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on our behalf. And so I wanna give you guys just a few minutes to respond, a few minutes just to sit with Jesus. And just remember as as you take communion today, it is his righteousness that we get to wear every day. It is not your own. It's what he's done in you that is most impressive. It's not what you've done for him that's most impressive. Is Jesus' finished work on the cross that we remember as we take communion this morning. Well, Father God, we just thank you for your son. Thank you for the gift of his righteousness. Thank you for the gift of your salvation. God, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you have made us alive together with Christ. And I pray that as we've received communion just now, God, would you have met us in the middle of our Story met us in the middle of whatever it is that we're going through, God. And I pray that you will stir up in us a hunger for your kingdom. Stir up in us a longing to run after you with everything that we have because you are worth it, Jesus. You are worthy of it all. God, I pray that we'd glorify you. Would we make much of your name with every breath that's in our lungs? I pray that we'd glorify you, Jesus. With everything that we do, I pray that we'd bring glory to your name because you are worthy of everything. We love you so much, Jesus. That you be blessed and honored through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.